This is The Last Coffee House, and we are talking about fiction today, An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. It was published in 2018, so it is very new. And I would hope that we advanced a little further than this when it comes to the mechanics of writing, because this was absolutely horrible. It was horrendous from every perspective except for the setup. It was completely terrible. So here's the here's the story, now that I sold it to you. The story is, uh, there are Roy and Celestial are newlyweds. Uh, I think they were together a year by the time of the event. And they're just kind of dealing with the whole, their couple kinds of things. Roy is unjustly imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit. Uh, I mean, that kind of fits in the word unjustly, but he runs into his father in prison, who he hadn't, who had left when he was a kid. Uh, Celestial has a, I hate that name. Celestial has a childhood friend named Andre. And while in prison, Celestial moves on to Andre. She opens a doll shop. He gets exonerated and released. He goes to her house and throws a fit. She goes with him. Then in the epilogue, turns out she went with Andre. It was, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. So like I said, the setup, not bad. Like the whole idea of newlyweds having to struggle through somebody be, being unjustly imprisoned and dealing with prison life and trying to perpetuate their relationship under these circumstances. Great ideas for a setup, especially when it comes to uh, dealing with issues of race and imprisonment imprisonment and and if they want to implicated things about you know class and the pressures of class and being without a father and all of those things i mean all those things could absolutely roy had a an adoptive father and his actual mother but his biological father had had left so if you want to deal with all those kinds of issues then great good setup but this is the most superficial childish method for doing that it was so terrible okay to start with the pros it's absolutely horrendous I don't know if I use the word horrendous yet. The characters all sound the same. They talk in very similar structures and phrases. Even in like the letters, they have this motif of letter writing while they're in jail where they send letters to each other back and forth. And even when you have different characters in the letters, they'll still use these parentheticals for like little jokes. And they, they do this in the same way. So it's the kind of thing that could have been an idiosyncrasy for a particular character that is just slathered on because there's no distinction actually between the characters because it's the same person writing all these people. So that's not it's not a huge issue but it's one of those little things that somebody could look at. The huge issue oh my gosh so there were cliche phrases that were used by all the characters constantly and there were TV references, TV and movie references that just popped up uh, that were just name dropping the TV references. So more importantly the cliche phrases. I mean it was constant. It was like uh, I have a list here of all the ones that I saw just in the first part. I didn't even go through the rest of the parts because I was like, oh my gosh, this is taking forever. Just the cliche phrases I saw in the first part. So get the show on the road, half a mind, Sirius is four heart attacks. And they do this too, where it would take a cliche phrase and just like add a little jokey thing to it. So Sirius is four heart attacks and a stroke. Haha, <laughs> that's funny, right? All systems are go. Pop the question. Water under the bridge. And not a sweet little creek either. Hang my hat down to earth. Hit pay dirt. These are all things that the characters said as part of their dialogue or just as part of the descriptions. The way it's written is they have different chapters are from the perspective I put that in quotes because it's not really it doesn't really offer a new perspective or from the perspective of different characters they go from Roy to Celestial to Andre and they'll have different perspectives on those but really it's just the same exposition and the exact same generic emotions you would expect them to have under these circumstances just reissued by the different characters with almost no new information no new emotions
additions, no new complexity or anything like that. It's just a gimmick. So lock this thing and throw away the key. Sue the savage beast. Don't hate the player, hate the game. They'll use a bunch of French and Latin phrases and different characters will use these same French and Latin phrases or use them just in general. And just a couple of like, pardon moi. I know they use bon appetit a whole bunch of times. Uh, they said one quote was black colleges are serious about this in loco parentis thing. And there was a lot of that too, where there's misplaced pretentious phrasing, uh, like the accoutrement of romance. Uh, they would just pop these in and the various characters all said them in the same way. More cliches, sweep her off her feet, comedy of errors, drop a bomb. A lot of really simple similes too. This thing is like this. This thing is like that. Literally the boy next door. I saw the forest, if not the trees. Sign sealed delivered. Hang out my shingle. May have been born yesterday, but not last night. Rags to riches and I was rags on my way to riches. He was saying that you, Celestial, were rags to riches and I was on my way. On my, I was rags on my way to riches. Punching above my weight. Not like TV. There's no studio audience. Hope you're sitting down. Part Even then, he said, sorry for the cliche, but I hope you're sitting down. Pardon my French, guilty as charged. Head over heels overhead, literally shacked up. Fruit doesn't fall far from any particular tree. Hurt me more than it hurts you before lightning struck. Staring down the barrel, water under the bridge. Now all these kinds of package cliche phrases, if they were voice for one character, okay, then that could be something. It would still be annoying, but that could be something. That's the character having a voice. They weren't, they were how all the characters talked because this is a terrible writer, that's why. And this is like her fourth book. So it's not just like, oh, it's my debut novel and I don't what I, I'm doing, but I'm gonna get better. You know, this is our fourth. This is absolutely horrendous. If you go through any, like I read to the lighthouse recently, you're not gonna find this nonsense. You're not gonna find this ridiculous regurgitation of cliche phrases because you're not creative enough to come up with anything else. And there were repeated reference references to TV and movies. Now this could have been a part of a motif to establish it's an American marriage, so she's referencing a whole bunch of American things, although it's not exclusively American. But that could be the point of this. But the whole point is these are just name drops. There's nothing else done with these things. That's an incredibly superficial, generic way to try to establish an Americanness of the story. And it's, again, all the characters doing the same things. Here are some that were references in the referenced in the first part. Good Times, A Different World, Gary Coleman, Little House on the Prairie, Aretha Franklin, Leave it to Beaver, Gomer Pyle, Harlem Renaissance, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Horatio Alger, Huxtable Life, The Fugitive, Ghetto Yoda, Can Candid Camera, Johnny Appleseeding, Don Corleone. Okay, so so that's the pros. It's incredibly generic and cheap and childish. This is not quality writing by any stretch of the imagination. The author attempts like there are amateurish attempts at literary flourishes, but it's always just cheap and little pockets of it that don't really mean anything and aren't really good writing. And this is all amidst the morass of the nonsense that's swirling around it. So, like, if you just think about storytelling at all, and you think about, okay, here's this is the setup. Newlyweds, woman has a childhood friend, a guy friend, and they've known each other forever. Guy, husband goes to jail. I mean, you just put those things together. You can imagine absolutely everything when it comes to the emotions, the things that are going to happen, all those things. You can imagine all those things all the way down the line automatically from the setup based on how this author treated it. I would love to see this kind of a setup in a different author's hands, a good author's hands. <laughs> like I could only imagine, I mean, uh, Virginia Woolf has similar issues when it comes to giving voice to different characters, but she's actually doing something much different. She's more ruminative and philosophical, but Toni Morrison, William Faulkner, Ralph Ellison, somebody who has an 
understanding and an idea. I mean, Ralph Ellison has bigger ideas. I mean, Richard Wright, Ralph Ellison has bigger ideas. Thematics are on point and extremely interesting. <laughs> You know, uh, so I don't know if he would he would kind of descend to something so simple, I guess. But Richard Wright, William Faulkner, he has the ability to build worlds and really put them together and make them function within themselves. And then when it comes to just the prose generally, <laughs> you know, a Virginia Woolf. Oh my gosh, I I hadn't read any full books of hers until I read to the Lighthouse. She is so creative. She is so damn creative and absolutely deserves a spot where she is. It's really sad that it ended. The, I mean, her and Hemingway went the same way but she is so so creative anyway so when it comes to the actual writing so there are things like she'll pepper in like references to her, her childhood friend Andre where like oh yeah Andre helped me with this or he was doing that he did that so great it's the most generic way you could possibly do that I mean really this is this is soap opera level kinds of writing here it also does generic things like establishing the virility of the male character so it has to make sure Andre in the beginning he's dating a 21 year old and celestial establishes that she's in her 30s but Andre is so attractive and virile that he can get a 21 year old and so he's doing fine and he he makes her website perfectly and helps set up the store and he's so good at things and then Roy when he gets out of prison he goes and and sleeps with this woman Davina and what's the point of that? it's just to establish his virility oh look how virile he is if he was just a pathetic you know convict or former convict who was exonerated then he wouldn't have the virility virility established to be able to compete with Andre and his virility it's such I mean the author doesn't necessarily realize that she's doing this that that's what's happening when she's writing these characters that way and adding these little tidbits to have these things happen and likely if you ask her directly about it she'll just rationalize about oh well I had to do this because of that or whatever but this is the point whenever you see this in film or books or anything like that this is the point it's establishing the virility of these characters because these two characters are supposed to be interested in the author doppelganger the celestial they're supposed to be interested in her so she has to establish that they're great and she does that by like i said with andre for roy she also says that he can sell anything and he, his verbal skills when he's in prison are in high demand so he writes things for people and so it's just establishing that those guys are great and they want her so she must be super great right <laughs> It's such terrible nonsense. Uh, like I said, it's told in gimmicks. It's got the back and forth perspective, which actually means nothing. You know, it's not like the sound of the fury where that's actually meaningful. It just goes back and forth telling the same story. It gets really redundant. And to make it even worse, all the characters just react generically to everything that's happening anyway. And then they have the letters that are back and forth in prison, which again, it's just a gimmick. It doesn't actually accomplish much of anything. And the, that descent, like it's again, because the deterioration in their relationship could have happened in such a creative gradual way and instead it's just like it's such dumb right <laughs> it's just like oh well yeah you know i have troubles too this is so difficult for me too and i don't feel jealous oh wait yeah i do and it's just that it's so generic there's no like complexity to it. it it's so boring and then it's just her oh my gosh i'm gonna get into that but then it's just her glorifying the protect the author glorifying the protagonist constantly that's the whole point of the letters in reality it should be about the disintegration of the relationship and all that but it's really just glorification after glorification of the dumbass protagonist
protagonist. So I got into this a little bit, but the characters in story, superficial as hell. They're generic, straightforward, generic characters. And they often do this thing, all the different characters often do this thing where it's like, okay, now I'm gonna get into my backstory. There's a there's a little shift, and then it goes into expositional backstory for different characters. Yeah, whether it's Roy or Andre Celestial or Roy's father or whoever else, they'll have this moment where it's like, okay, here we go into my expositional backstory, which is superficial, cheap writing and boring as hell. And here we are, the big chunk. This book is wish fulfillment. I mean, you might think, okay, with the setup, it's it's about, oh, we're gonna dive deep into the real social consequences of how wrongful imprisonment and being black and suffering without a father and having all these issues and chip on your shoulder and all that stuff. We're gonna dive deep into those things. No, it's, it's about wish fulfillment. It's about the glorification of the protagonist. She's established as genius and unique. I, I think I remember <laughs> that actual phrase was in there, Roy talking about her or something like that. She's a genius and unique. <laughs> Come on. Uh, the two men are inexplicably infatuated with her, just absolutely infatuated. They need her, you know? It's not like Roy could just be like, oh, you want to divorce? All right, well, that's fine. I mean, you know, we could just kind of start over separately once I get out of, out of here and I'll find somebody else. No worries. <laughs> you know, that could... No, they have to be completely infatuated. Or Andre, who was <laughs> sidelined for decades, <laughs> he could have just been like, you know what? I'm going to stick with a 21-year-old. You're kind of... <laughs> you're getting up there and I'm not too interested in you. He could have done that, but he didn't do that. That. But even beyond those, these are the things that they established that's so great about it. She's an incredible doll maker and a businesswoman. So once he goes to jail, she starts making her dolls uh, in earnest and starts her own business in a prime spot. <laughs> and I, I, I saved some little chunks here, but it was super prime spot for a doll business. She was offered $5,000 for one doll, but wouldn't part with it because she's, uh, you know, because <laughs> she has her artistic integrity because these things are so much more important than money. At one point Roy says uh, her some of her dolls could fetch five figures easily. Uh, she ends up an artist to watch in a magazine. She has a commission for the mayor of Atlanta that's uh, for $10,000 but even though she has that commission for $10,000 she gives the doll to uh, Roy's mom <laughs> because she has such artistic integrity. And I'll get in I'll get into the thematics later. I but anyway I'll get into some of the ideas for the thematics which is another big issue with this. But anyway like I said 10,000 for that Roy brokered the deal because he's such a good salesman for the mayor of Atlanta, a generic authority figure, the mayor of Atlanta to have this doll and she gives it to Roy's mom instead because she has so much integrity. And while he's in prison, he says, more than anything, I miss your singing. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I'll get into that. Okay, <laughs> but more than anything, I miss your singing. You're such an incredible singer and doll maker and businesswoman. You're so smart and beautiful. And it doesn't matter how old you are. <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, she says she might get a show in New York. I put the wrong your here. How dare I do that? How did I ever do that ever in my entire life? I It must have self-corrected or something. I hate that when I see it. My mother says you're famous. So this is what Roy says. While he's in prison, he sends some letter that says, my mother says you're famous. Uh, so my mother, who knows that I'm in prison, is talking about you and your fame. That's so important. Okay. She won a contest at the National Portrait Museum. Oh my gosh. Her mentor flew in from California and Janetta B. Cole showed up and she's flying to New York a lot these days. So, oh my gosh, like if you watch an action movie and in the action movie, all of the attractive girls are after the main character. The main character is inex inexplicably wealthy or has plenty of money to be able to do whatever he wants. The antagonist is totally interested in the protagonist. The... <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, the news reports about it. All the, the government, the corrupt government officials are all interested in him. And the non-corrupt government officials are all interested in him, but want to vindicate him or something like that. And he gets into fights just so that he can best those people. It has no bearing on the actual plot or anything else. And doesn't have any consequences. That's superficial filmmaking. That's superficial storytelling that's just trying to glorify the main character. That's what that's doing. That's what this is doing. It's just trying to glorify the main character of Celestial. It's establishing all of these things over and beyond. Uh, her father's also a millionaire because he was a genius inventor. <laughs> it's just trying to establish that she's the most amazing thing ever. Oh my gosh. And I, like, I'm inclined to read some of the other writings of this author just to see if these same things show up in those other books. Because th this was chosen for Oprah's Book Club and, and, and given some kind of, I don't know what kind of awards. It had some kind of accolades. But this was absolutely horrible. This was so bad. I mean, for, from virtually every perspective, like I said, except for the setup, every other perspective was absolutely terrible. And it's it's the kind of absolutely forgettable schlock that comes out every single week or day or whatever that anybody would pick up and, and read. It's the trash, less than average movie that you would watch and then forget the next day. Not only that, just a function of storytelling. Obviously, Celestial's already wealthy. She has all the money she'll ever need. So that takes any of the... <laughs> Any drama related to her being successful completely nullifies it 100%. So that's just a, a function of storytelling that should have been much more interesting. And at his mother's, Roy's mother's funeral, while he's in prison, and the only thing I really know about this, whether people can get out to go to funerals, is The Sopranos, so... <laughs> So I know they got to. What's his name got to go to his daughter's wedding, you know? So it was John. Yeah, he got to go to his daughter's wedding while he was in prison. So it's kind of suspect that he doesn't get out to go to his mother's funeral. But he doesn't get to go. Celestial does. And what does she do while she's there? She sings. She gets to sing. The protagonist singing is the, the highlight of Roy's mother's funeral. Oh my gosh. What absolute nonsense. Egocentric, narcissistic nonsense. Again, this isn't real quality storytelling. These aren't real characters in a real world. This is just to glorify the protagonist. This isn't exploring issues of race and class and imprisonment and the justice system, anything like that. It has no interest in any of those things. It has an interest in glorifying the protagonist. All those things are just tacked on <laughs> on the outside so that it seems more substantive than it is. It is not. Okay, to go into the themes. So again, it could have complexly looked at the way that the ramifications of the justice system, what would have been much more interesting interesting is if Roy had actually committed a crime and gone to jail for it and had to deal with that or something like that. But the whole, no, I'm completely innocent and, and now I'm out, that it completely strips away a whole lot of possible drama or interest or applicability to the prison system and the way that affects somebody and how that impacts, you know, it could have been something innocuous or, or even just if it has to be an injustice where he's completely not the person, there could have been more of an effect on that. Prior to him going to prison, he was already douche like he <laughs> she was terrible too i mean as characters not just not just the, like in the effect of writing them but as characters they they were pretty terrible roy he like had a number from a girl and says most of the time i don't do anything about it and she was all pissed about it and she was terrible she's like when she's writing to him in prison she's like yeah you have a burden but i have a burden too <laughs> 
It's like, okay, he's imprisoned. You're following your dream. Okay. Yeah, sure. But whatever the case, you know, if you want to go the injustice route, you have to get more deeper into this idea of how this affects somebody. He was already a douche before he goes in. And what does he do when he gets out? He just goes after a girl and throws a fit when he can't have her. You know, that's that's the effect of it. No, I mean, there was even a, like what I'm talking about, nullifying the kinds of costs because when he gets out of prison, it turns out his mom left him a whole bunch of money. So he just gets to take that money and drive over to try to see her. And it's just all these things just nullify any kind of thematic or plot or character significance that they can possibly have because she's trying to bring, the author is trying to bring everything back to baseline so she can better glorify herself as the doppelganger in Celestial. So it's, it just constantly does that. There was, a, there's no complexity here. And the facts that like he happens to run into his father and be bunked with his father. I think there was some like note where it says that Walter, his father, actually asked for it or something like that. He tried to make it happen, but still hell of a coincidence that he happens to do that and then he gets to meet his father. But it's, I mean, this is the kind of writing that it's just like off the top of the head and, uh, well, this kind of seems significant, so maybe that'll happen and, and whatever. But it's not really thinking through the complexities or or the ideas or the thematics, the philosophies, the, the true ramifications psychologically, internally, when it comes to sociologically. It's not really thinking about any of those things it's really just really small. It's a really tiny look at all of those possible ideas that could come from this. And same too when it comes to the black experience. This is something that could have delved deeply into this and there could have been something more to, okay, well, I, my my father left. I was unjustly imprisoned on the basis of my race. I was trying to establish this kind of relationship with a, another person, but this thing intervened and all those things it could have been complex, could have meant something, could have been more significant. But in reality, it's just window dressing for the dumbass central relationship of I need to glorify the protagonist here and we have we're in love quote unquote and what impact does it have on that it's just a generic paint by numbers any kind of intervening factor in a love relationship it's Pearl Harbor in the movie Pearl Harbor where uh, Josh Hartnett and, and Ben Affleck you know one of them thinks they got lost or something like that I hate Josh Hartnett <laughs> <laughs> One of them gets lost in the war and then has to come back. It's the same intervening thing. That's what it is. It's just paint by numbers that story pretending to be more than that. And there could have been, so there could have been bigger ideas about female empowerment. So one of the things, like she makes dolls. Repeatedly she infantilizes Roy by saying that uh, you're a doll, you know, your doll was the one that won the contest. I made it based on you. She was hugging a fire hydrant at one point. <laughs> she makes a whole bunch of the dolls and it could have been she got two abortions prior to this so there could have been some kind of a, a thematic and she didn't want kids so there could have been a thematic that she was vicariously living out the the childhood you know creating or creating children by creating these dolls that could have been some kind of a thing but it's not explored she just infantilizes Roy on that basis and does it repeatedly in a bunch of different ways and then makes her dolls the dolls the only point of the dolls is for her to get money for them and at the end again they do the same exact thing where there's a guy who comes in. She has a bunch of irregular dolls she makes for some reason that they don't explain. And she has one doll that's not irregular that has like wings or something on it that's flying up in the air. A guy shows up to her store and is like, oh, I really want a doll, but all these ones are <laughs> goofy looking. <laughs> 
<laughs> Except for that one. Can I have that one? And she's like, yeah, sure. Oh, wait, no. I really need to keep this one. So this is like the third time she's just held onto a doll when she was supposed to sell it to establish the exact same thing it did the other two times. And it's not even establishing anything. It's just artistic integrity. I'm more important than that. But again, the motif could have been that she's vicariously being a mother by creating these dolls. She's the mother of, you know, artistic invention or something like that uh, that she's trying to establish. Never explored. Has no actual significance going forward for the character or when it comes to the world or anything like that. By comparison to The Lighthouse, absolutely does all of those things when it comes to a woman and artistic expression being choked by the millstone of male authority. Men being weak and overly concerned with their reputation and thinking, you know, self-aggrandizing and thinking they're greater than they are. And family and eschewing the idea of family or being with family because she has a, a symbolic representation of her die and then a symbolic representation of her come back to be an artist without that the millstone of of the male you know pressure to raise the family and all that stuff so all those thematics are completely established and beautifully interwoven into the story told by virginia wolf in to the lighthouse along with incredible prose and all that stuff here completely ignored it's just kind of hinted at and there's no interest in it and it doesn't make sense because in the epilogue she ends up having a kid with andre anyway and then roy gets with davina and they have a uh i don't i think davina didn't want kids or he didn't want kids or something like that or she can't have them or something but anyway so it's just it's nullified there's no bigger idea about that there could have been a, a female empowerment kind of an idea message going through it like she could have just issued both of them after a back and forth and but again there's there's no real drama she's just the authority for 90 percent of it and then she gets told to go back in the house once and listens this time uh even her oh my gosh i'm gonna get into that too aren't i <laughs> yeah her dad talks about how uh, so roy says i know your body your choice when she's gonna get the abortion her father celestial's father defends her autonomy uh he says her hand is not mine to give he's he tells roy that he explained my daughter is not my property uh he later asserts again that it wasn't mine to give so this is just wish fulfillment these aren't real characters by any stretch of the imagination so there could have been a theme about daddy issues because both andre has to go see his like dad toward the end for some reason roy has to you know he has his adoptive father and he meets his real father in prison and there's just nothing to it it's just like okay yeah they weren't there but really he just wants celestial and and she has him and then doesn't have him and and again the yeah the dolls so she says roy is my inspiration um because he's infantilized and again if oh my gosh there could have been some thematics here there could have been like roy could have been just somebody who engaged by virtue of his surroundings he engaged in like criminal activity or something like that and she makes dolls of him and it's infantilizing roy in saying that look this is the infant way for us to behave you know <laughs> this is not the way that we should be doing this and it, it takes me through my artistic expression to demonstrate that this is not how we should be acting that could have been the thematic strain that went through the whole thing but he didn't do anything wrong he was discriminated against and arrested for something he didn't do so his infantilization doesn't make sense i mean it could have something to do with just having the chip on his shoulder from not having a father but still it's that has to be clear that has to be explicit that you're judging roy on some basis and that the dolls are are saying that this is a judgment and you're acting in this way and this isn't acceptable or or whatever but obviously having an absent father 
father wouldn't have been Roy's fault either, so it's, I mean, it's something maybe about you shouldn't throw a fit by having a chip on your shoulder because you have an absent father? I, I don't, it's just, it's so undermined, I mean, especially by the end and the ending. A lot of people were confounded by this ending, but I'm telling you, it fits perfectly for under the theory that this author is just trying to write wish fulfillment as opposed to write anything else. It's just these men both want her so desperately and then she gets to choose and say, okay, I want you. No, never mind. I want you. And now I'm going to have a kid. You know, there could have been another th theme where she is all invested in this doll thing and she's going through the doll thing and that's so important to her. But once she has a kid, it all just disappears and falls by the wayside and goes into bankruptcy and all this other stuff. And then that's a thematic. That would make sense that she was trying to vicariously do that. And once she gets into the family mode, then she's no longer taking care of herself and being productive and expressing herself artistically. That could have been a thematic that made sense. But again, it's not about the ideas. It's not about the philosophies. It's not about sociological or psychological ideas. It's about the glorification of the protagonist. What trash? So problems, I mean, bad writing, poor structure, gimmicks instead of creative instruments of storytelling, superficial characters, underused and underdeveloped themes, tremendously amateurish, it has a lot of filler too, where you're not actually getting any new information about the plot or the characters or the themes, it's just rehashing the same stuff to elongate the book. I mean, there's really no more value to this than if Michael Bay made like an action movie and he just like <laughs> attached that it was set during the Armenian Genocide or something. It's, there's nothing more significant to this. This is really superficial writing. If you want books like this uh, that are kind of exploring marriage and being black and other ideas along those lines, and I don't even like separating. Like, I'm as interested and inspired by something like, by Ralph Ellison or Richard Wright or Toni Morrison, just like with any other medium of expression. I don't like categorizing like that. It, it seems ridiculous. Like, if I say that Zora Neale Hurston, even though I didn't like it a whole lot because she had a lot of the same plot and character elements. She was way more creative when it came to the language, way more creative when it came to the colloquial dialogue, and a more interesting setup too. I, there's way more in that, even in Their Eyes Were Watching God. But I, and obviously Toni Morrison is head and shoulders above most writers, but it's just, I don't like making those direct comparisons like that. It's just like To the Lighthouse, much better when it comes to exploring family and women in family and, and women and their artistic expression and that being stifled by male ideas about what people need to be and, and what roles people need to have and all that. Much more interesting. But I just, I didn't like this at all. I, I really hope this isn't the state of fiction and the state of writing because I've been completely ensconced by, I think Toni Morrison's kind of the most recent writer that, <laughs> that I've read and I haven't been reading much uh, more recently. So, I mean, what is it? David Foster Wallace. I read Infinite Jest at some point. When was that written? That was the 2000s or something, right? And then and Thomas Pynchon, I don't know, Philip Roth, I was reading him, he's still alive, that was pretty recently, so, I don't know, I mean, I hope this isn't what people think is good writing, I really hope so, because that would be just heartbreaking and disastrous. <laughs> Anyway, I, I actually wrote a book about writing. It's my first book ever. It's called John Shade Reads Aspiring Authors. Uh, you have to search for the whole name on Amazon. And it's just, it's a test book to see if we can do some more reading collaboratively instead of it being so intensely lonesome. <laughs> so I'm testing this out and see how it goes. If you can give me any feedback, that'd be great with leaving a review or just sending me an email at thelastcoffeehouse.gmail.com or johnshadereads at gmail.com or uh, check me on Goodreads. You can see everything that I'm reading right now 
now and things that are going to be coming up on the podcast. I appreciate I'm sorry. I'm going to have to do more like housekeeping type of stuff now. This this is really complicated. I thought I'd just be able to throw this stuff up, whatever I happen to be thinking and, and leave it. And there you go. But it's getting more complicated. So I really appreciate it. everybody who listens. I really appreciate it. I hope all is well. I'll see you on the next one. Okay, bye.